Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode four of the Lawyers for Employers podcast. My name is Andrew Cogswell, and I am one of the Lawyers for Employers at CC Partners. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about harassment and the investigation of workplace harassment in the workplace. Now, this podcast relates to the blog that we released today. And what I'd like to accomplish through this podcast is to expand on a few issues that are found within the case related to the blog and speak to good practice for employers when faced with similar situations. Now, the case itself is Watkins v. Willow Park Golf Course. It's a wrongful dismissal case, and it hails out of Alberta. The plaintiff in this case was seeking reasonable notice damages, as well as aggravated and punitive damages related to his termination from the position of superintendent for the golf course. The golf course had terminated the employee's employment following allegations of verbal as well as sexual harassment towards a particular employee, coupled with what we could describe as generally unprofessional behavior towards other staff, but as well as this particular employee who he had developed romantic feelings for. Now, one of the particular aspects that I've, of this case that I wanted to discuss through this podcast was that seeking of punitive and aggravated damages, and that was related in part, at least, to whether or not the employer had properly investigated the complaints of verbal and sexual harassment by this other employee. Now, as I said before, this case hailed out of Alberta. So one of the questions that employers may have would be, would this case have played out differently had this occurred in Ontario? And I can tell you my opinion is that it likely would not have played out any differently in terms of the potential award, but it does raise some questions as to what practices are best for Ontario employers when faced with this situation. Now, the reason I say this may not have played out any differently in Ontario is that the allegations of verbal and sexual harassment were essentially made out during the trial. Some of the allegations we're speaking of are detailed within the blog, but they include using very vulgar language towards another employee, professional misconduct towards another employee, and specifically an employee that is subordinate. Some of the examples included asking the subordinate employee if she enjoys pornography, something that I think would not find sympathy in Ontario. That is not a difference you would find across provinces. I think uh, any particular province would find workplace harassment or particularly sexual harassment to be any less serious with respect to whether or not it constitutes cause for termination. However, one of the things that Ontario employers need to think about is that Ontario could be considered at the forefront when it comes to combating workplace harassment, including sexual harassment. And one of the reasons for that was the recently passed Bill 132, which came into law in Ontario in March of 2016. Now, what Bill 132 did is it amended a number of different acts, but one of those acts being the Occupational Health and Safety Act. And what it did was it added the definition of workplace sexual harassment and included it in the general definition of workplace harassment. It also created a new requirement that employers are required to conduct an investigation that is appropriate in the circumstances and obligations around confidentiality and reporting with respect to those investigations. And lastly, it created an additional new power for the Ministry of Labor to have their inspectors capable of enforcing these requirements by requiring that employers conduct an independent workplace harassment investigation at the employer's expense, and that investigation may have to be completed with an independent third party. So just going back to the case at hand, the plaintiff in this case was seeking aggravated and punitive damages. That was at least partially related to the manner in which the employer conducted the investigation. 
in this case, they really failed to conduct a proper investigation, and that was found by the trial judge. The trial judge did not award punitive or aggravated damages on the basis of an improper investigation, but did comment that the investigation by the employer was inadequate. So let's look at the facts which led to that conclusion. For one, the complainant employee brought forward a written complaint to one of the management members. That management member forwarded that on to a management committee. That management committee brought in the plaintiff and asked him to respond to the allegations in that detailed written letter. He flatly denied the allegations, and that was essentially the end of the investigation. They terminated his employment, and that sparked the claim of wrongful dismissal. But if we back up and view this in light of Ontario's laws and the recent amendments to the Occupational Health and Safety Act, you could understand that an Ontario employer may be under further scrutiny with respect to how they go about investigating these complaints. The Ontario government has specifically turned their mind to the requirement that employers must investigate complaints of harassment and workplace harassment and do so sufficiently. There will always be a question of what is sufficient with respect to a proper investigation. I would always recommend that employers consult a professional when faced with complaint of harassment in the workplace, whether it's verbal harassment or sexual harassment, in order to get an unbiased third-party opinion as to what is appropriate in the circumstances with respect to investigating that complaint. In this case, that failure to adequately investigate the complaint of the employee didn't ultimately cost the employer at trial, but a lot of that was to do with the fact that this particular employee, this plaintiff, was very unsympathetic. What happens at trial is that the examination of the plaintiff and the cross-examination of the plaintiff essentially replaces the investigation that should have occurred at the forefront right when the complaint was filed. Through those examinations, it becomes clear that most of these allegations are made out, or at least made out to a point that legal cause for termination is borne out. Of course, there's a huge danger in having this done at the point of trial for an employer. And this is one of the talking points for the blog. For one, once you get to trial, the employer's lost control of that investigation. The fact that the allegations were proven at trial during the examinations is fortunate for the employer, but the employer had lost control at that point as they were not the ones asking all the questions. You have the plaintiff's own counsel asking questions of the plaintiff during direct examination and reply. There's also a key factor of cost. If the employer investigates this complaint thoroughly from the very beginning, then they may avoid trial altogether. A proper investigation would have allowed the plaintiff a greater amount of time to review the allegations and respond more fully. Now, in this particular case, he denied them flatly at the outset, but he was also bombarded unexpectedly uh, by these allegations. He could reasonably state that he wasn't given a full opportunity to respond to the allegations. Furthermore, the employer never actually interviewed the complainant employee. They had her written statement, which detailed the allegations, but a thorough investigation would include an interview of that employee, and it would include interviews of other employees that may have relevant evidence to provide with respect to the allegations. A thorough investigation in this case would of course then lead to a thorough report of the allegations and findings. If at the end of the day a thorough investigation was completed by the employer and the plaintiff was still ultimately terminated, he may have been less apt to pursue litigation in this case based on the thoroughness of that investigation and, and based on potential admissions he may have made through that process. In the worst case scenario, if litigation was still commenced by the plaintiff based on wrongful dismissal, the employer would have that investigation witness statements and investigation report to support their decision to terminate when they proceeded to trial. 
at trial, the employer could then use those statements to support witness evidence rather than depend on the examinations of each witness at trial to support their decision to terminate. A properly conducted investigation at the forefront is fantastic evidence when you reach trial in the case of wrongful dismissal based on allegations of workplace harassment, sexual harassment. Ultimately, a more thorough investigation at the outset prior to termination would reduce the risk at trial of potential damages flowing from the manner in which he was terminated, but also support the case for just cause. There's also the distinct possibility that a properly conducted investigation may have helped avoid trial altogether, ultimately saving the employer a great deal of legal costs. The decision to terminate the plaintiff in this particular case ended up being the correct one, but it only became obvious that it was the correct one through the course of the trial. As the allegations were borne out, as the plaintiff admitted to particular aspects of the allegations. Overall, I would describe this decision as a positive one for employers. It supports the notion that employers can take a strong stance with respect to verbal and sexual harassment in the workplace, even with an employee that is relatively senior and an employee that has no disciplinary background, that the courts will take allegations of sexual harassment and professional misconduct seriously. On the other hand, I think employers should be wary of failing to complete an investigation at the outset once they receive a written complaint or they become aware of allegations in the workplace of harassment. In this case, the judge highlighted the inadequacy of that investigation, and that inadequacy ultimately did not lead to any damage award. But best practices for employers would include completing a thorough investigation prior to terminating. When I say thorough, I mean the investigation and interview of at least the complainant and the person being complained of. You also shouldn't avoid interviewing people that would clearly have relevant information to offer relevant to the allegations. The process should be confidential to the extent possible to protect those involved, and the process should include some reporting obligation at the end of the investigation, reporting back to the complainant and the person complained of with respect to the outcome. There are instances where I would highly recommend using a third party to complete the investigation rather than doing so internally, particularly when a member of management is implicated. And one of the reasons for that is that there may be an apprehension of bias with respect to management investigating other members of management. But it's also simply good practice to use a, a third party who's a professional in completing investigations when your company hasn't completed an investigation before and may not have the expertise to do so. Enlisting professional help to investigate or at least advise when faced with complaints of harassment in the workplace can help to do a couple of things. One of those is to mitigate litigation risk for the organization, but also it can promote a healthy workplace atmosphere. Enlisting an independent third party to investigate workplace harassment sends the message that you as a workplace take harassment seriously. And that is something that employees will respect and may encourage other employees to come forward if they're facing similar issues in the workplace. Now, if your organization has a question about workplace harassment, workplace harassment investigations, or other workplace issues, I encourage you to tweet us at ccpartnerslaw and use the hashtag AskCCPartners. If you need specific or direct legal advice, I encourage you to call us directly, or you can visit us online at www.ccpartners.ca. My name is Andrew Cogswell, and thank you for listening to Episode 4 of the Lawyers for Employers podcast, brought to you by CC Partners.